Hello, everyone. I'm Paul Menzel. And I'm Jim Conlon. And this is New Tricks for Old Dogs. Our podcast features the many ways us older men and women howl at the moon, odd news items you don't normally hear about, and conversations with other old dogs who are growing bolder, not older. So if you've got 25 minutes or so, grab a cup of coffee, pull up a chair, and join us. In this episode, the old dogs ramble about rambling during the pandemic. We report on how to throw off the cops by throwing wine bottles at them. We tell the sad tale of a young lady who decided to try super glue instead of hairspray. We dip again into the old dog's fan mailbag. We celebrate the life of Larry King, and we offer advice on how to get the most out of your walks around the neighborhood. The old dogs continue our conversation with Kathleen O'Brien, self-styled chief aging officer. Stay with us. Well, Paul? Yes, me. It's time to ask you what's on your mind. Well, Jim, we have a pod nugget today. It talks about if you're walking for exercise right now during the pandemic, some suggestions for how to make it more awesome. Yes. And I know you and I both walk, and that's our primary exercise. I've been doing it since I was roughly um, 10 months old. Well, it's time to take a rest, then, isn't it? (laughs) What do you do to make your walks interesting? I am an observer. I don't just look at the pavement in Isn't front of me. against the law in some states? Uh, no, it's not, it's, okay. I'm not a peeper. I'm All an right. observer. All right. And so when I walk, and it's usually with my wife and our dog, I look around me. Uh, it's usually the same walk, but it's never the same if you look around. For example, and this is kind of weird, I see clouds I see what kinds of clouds are up there and the kinds of patterns of clouds and blue sky or gray sky and whatever. And I look for plants that are coming into bloom, let's say, or changing color. I look for birds. I love to see birds. And I've seen so many different kinds of birds since I started observing this. And that makes each walk kind of fascinating to me. Well, interestingly enough, I, for a while on my walks was using a distraction, TED Talks. Oh, yes. Uh, I did that for maybe a few weeks, and then I decided I get too much in my head, and I wasn't appreciating the walk. So I unplugged, and I found that I was being observant like you Hmm. and uh, noticing what was different in the neighborhood, what was going on. You had to stay alert because of traffic. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I do believe there are some cars that are aiming for me. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, I do find that when I stopped listening on my phone and started observing, I was enjoying the walks more. And I think the walks were probably more relaxing when I finished. Yeah, it's it's more immediate, right? Uh, and it's more unpredictable, not knowing what exactly you're going to get. And I think that there's something about that that's refreshing. One of the things that helps us, I suppose, in a way, is that we have a dog, and the dog needs to be walked. She begs to be walked. And we have met a lot of neighbors that way, with and without dogs, Uh, We've gotten to know them, and that's real important, especially to my wife, because she likes to know who else is in the neighborhood and to know them by name. 
Right, so you can go to their house during a power outage. And borrow food. (laughs) Yeah, and I wonder if this habit is going to continue after the uh, pandemic. We have been walking for years. This did not occur because of the pandemic. But I have to say that there is a certain added benefit to walking these days because I am much more observant than I used to be. For example, my office here has a floor-to-ceiling window that looks out onto this magnificent old oak tree. And when I look out at the oak, it's not just a tree. It's full of life. And I look for the life in the tree. I have seen hawks in that tree. So this is how you avoid work? Is that what I'm hearing? It's easy to avoid work when you got a tree. (laughs) Yeah. Thieves in France made a vintage escape by throwing wine bottles at their pursuers. This pod nugget is from Guardian.com for January 6, 2021. The robbers had stolen $430,000 of wine from a luxury hotel. They smashed open the hotel wine cellar and gathered up hundreds of bottles of Burgundy. The owner of the hotel was awakened by the alarm. He jumped in his car and gave pursuit to the thieves escaping in a Burgundy van, <laughs> or, or rather a van full of Burgundy. A patrol of gendarmes soon joined the chase. The Burgundy burglars, fearing being captured, began throwing wine bottles at their pursuers. Geez, I hope they looked at the labels first. <laughs> I, I doubt it. The pursuers called off the chase when they realized that if the pursued <laughs> went through all the wine bottles, it would make the chase pointless. So the burglars got away, and we are left with this moral. And what is that? In vino effugium, in wine, there is escape. Here's a lifestyle tip you probably don't need. Never use glue if you run out of hairspray. This item is from the New York Times for February 8th, 2021. A woman named Teresa Brown has been embarrassingly honest on social media about a recent lapse in judgment. It seems that Ms. Brown ran out of her usual hairspray and substituted Gorilla Spray (laughs) Adhesive, made by Gorilla Glue. Tisk, tisk. (laughs) The result, at least for the last month, has been a permanent hairstyle. She has tried more than 15 washes, various treatments suggested on social media, and a trip to the emergency room. But her hairstyle remains inflexible. In a TikTok video posted last week, she referred to it as a bad, bad, bad idea. Bad. I guess we would have to agree, mm. but that kind of reflection should have occurred before she reached for the glue. With all the exposure Teresa was getting, Gorilla Glue felt a need to make a statement. They said, We are sorry to hear about the unfortunate incident that Miss Brown experienced using our spray adhesive on her hair. They went on to remind her that the product wasn't intended to be used on hair because it is considered permanent. (laughs) Tierra Milton, the owner of a hair salon, suggested the best idea Mm -hmm. is to shave her head and start over. She offered this advice, that people should seek professional help when it comes to hair regimens. She also noted rather obviously that Gorilla Glue is not sold in beauty (laughs) supply stores. Well, meanwhile, Teresa Brown is still stuck with a permanent hairstyle and painful knowledge about that fine line between beauty products and construction supplies. Let's hope she can come unglued in the near future. (laughs) Yes, get help. Get professional help. 
It is surprising and gratifying that we get fan mail from listeners. Honestly, it's surprising and gratifying that we even have listeners, Jim. Yeah, so if you want to make our day, go to our website, www.olddogspodcast.com. Scroll down on the homepage and you'll find a form to send us comments and sign up for our mailing list. We got the following note from Ray S., I love the way you guys approach this podcast. Very listenable, and both of you meld nicely as co-hosts. Love the quick elements, and no surprise, this has a high production value. Count me in as a new fan. Way to go. Well, thanks, Ray. It's very listenable because there are no visuals. (laughs) We thought that was a good choice for a podcast. And as for our melding together, we don't even meld separately. (laughs) However, we do believe that whatever happens between two consenting adults is their business. Who comes to mind when you think of the most famous TV interviewer of all time? Of course, Larry King. His interviews were easy listening. This pod nugget is from the Washington Post for January 23, 2021. His death at the age of 87 was not a surprise. He had survived diabetes, heart attacks, lung cancer, a stroke, and had been recently hospitalized for COVID-19. Perhaps the surprise was that he lived so long. His personal life was complicated. He was married eight times, which included marrying a former Playboy playmate twice. He had a gambling addiction, which left him deeply in debt by the end of the 60s. His track record of financial problems and lost jobs finally stabilized in the late 70s. He was able to rebuild his career with a successful late-night radio talk show on the Mutual Network. He made a switch to television by joining an upstart new network. From 1985 to 2010, his interview show Larry King Live was a feature on CNN. Some might argue that his show contributed to the success of the news network by offering a celebrity-infused change of pace to the 24-hour news cycle. His interview style was informal. His wardrobe was usually rolled-up shirt sleeves and suspenders. He never read background material on his guests, preferring a spontaneous approach. His questions were never threatening, resembling more a friendly chat that quickly put his guests at ease. So he was able to attract guests that avoided more challenging interviewers. He interviewed over 5,000 people in his 25 years at CNN. His varied guest list included Frank Sinatra, Snoop Dogg, Muammar Gaddafi, Magic Johnson, and the Dalai Lama. Mixed in were sex therapists, UFO supporters, and Kermit the Frog and Miss Piggy. (laughs) The Muppets showed up in suspenders, mimicking the host's famous wardrobe. (laughs) New York Times columnist Maureen Dowd referred to King's show as the resort area of American journalism, (laughs) where politicians and other figures of controversy or celebrity can go to unwind, kick back, and reflect. He was one of a kind, Paul. Yes, he was. Like many of you, we take walks in our neighborhood for exercise during the pandemic. Well, here's a suggestion for making the walks more awesome. This pod nugget is from the New York Times for October 1st, 2020. If you're a walker, you may be interested in the results of a new study that attempted to add an element of awe to walking. The study focused on seniors in their 60s, 70s, and 80s who were already engaged in a study of how to age well. They divided the 52 volunteers into two groups. 
The control group was asked to walk for 15 minutes once a week, but were given no other instructions. The second group was asked to take the same 15-minute walk, but they were given instructions that added awe. They were told to walk somewhere new to add novelty to the experiment. Additionally, the researchers suggested that the walkers pay attention to details in their surroundings as they walked. In other words, look at everything with fresh, childlike eyes. After eight weeks, they compared the results of the two groups. Overall, the awe walkers felt happier, less upset, and more socially connected. One volunteer reported focusing on the beautiful fall colors. In contrast, another volunteer in the control group confessed to worrying about an upcoming vacation during the whole walk. Perhaps on the simplest level, the experiment showed the value of not getting trapped in your thoughts, but rather focusing on the novelty and awesomeness of your surroundings as you walk. As the song goes, leave your troubles on the doorstep. Kathleen O'Brien is about to publish a book called Reclaim Your Right to Grow Old. It turns out there's a lot to being old that's worth claiming. Here's part two of our conversation with Kathleen. We haven't given full shrift to your book. The book's title is Reclaim Your Right to Grow Old. When are we going to be able to see it? I actually am working with a publicist. He is thinking that we should release it around March 23rd. It should be ready to roll. I mean, the thing is done. It's so hard to let it go sometimes. <laughs> you see things, you think, oh, why did I write it that way? Should I take that out? Does it sound trite? You know. Okay, great. Well, you have uh, two copies here that uh, we can guarantee. Yep. Yay! Oh, I'd love for you to read it and share it with other people. We certainly will, and this is a start. This it is. Uh, I have one other maybe challenging question, which I'm sure you've discussed a lot. You and I and Paul have had the opportunity to live very creative lives, and yet as we age, we feel like, are we losing it? Uh, are we not capable of doing that level of creative work? You know, you get the feeling you don't have it anymore, or you think other people think you don't have it anymore, and what do you do about that when it's been your life? Oh, yeah, that is so hard. I think, first of all, being older means we can back away from the approval of other people and whether or not they think we have it anymore. But also our own little <laughs> taskmaster inside us that wants us to always rise up to this occasion. Understand that we are not in middle age now. And uh, we don't have to do what we've always done. There are days when I start typing and I think, how do I spell that word? That word doesn't look right to me. And I'll yell to my husband, how do you spell, you know, and it would be kind of a <laughs> simple word. And I thought, you know, 40 years ago, this stuff would have poured out of me. So it doesn't so much anymore. Um, then if that makes you uncomfortable, I would say find other things that you enjoy uh, to, I was going to say to do, but I have this chapter in the book talking about doing and being. Doing is one thing. Doing is something like when you're working and you're keeping busy, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. 
Or the other side of this is, which I think is more appropriate for people as they grow older, what are you being? What are you being today? Oh, today I'm being, um, I'm being an athlete. I'm out taking a brisk walk. This is what I'm being. I'm not doing this to measure up to anything or to make other people happy. So um, I think it is frustrating and it's hard. And I think we all have to come to terms with the fact that there is loss as we age. There is loss. There's loss of people we have loved, uh, the loss of our physical abilities sometimes, the loss even of our mental faculties, which is really hard to come to grips with. But before we get to that point, as we all are in our 70s, we can still take advantage of what we have now. And it may be less than what we had before. Like I said, I used to be able to spell things. You know, that's okay. Because I have other things that I do well, I think one of them is the ability to reflect on things, the ability to see that the world isn't black and white, but it's mostly gray, the ability to let things go, the ability to forgive people uh, easily because I see their foibles and I see my own in theirs. We're all tied up with an identity. I think this is harder sometimes for men. Men, you know, this is who they are. I've gone out and I've been this person and I've made this money and I've conquered the world. And now who am I? Well, that was what you did then. Now you're an elder. Now's the time to spread your wisdom around. Now's the time to go inward and find out who you really are and do what makes you happy. We've also found a lot of people that we interview have found a way to leverage the skills that they had in their first career mm-hmm. into either a second career or a pastime. If they were an attorney, they're very good at putting ideas down on paper, and they have found a way to follow that particular path. So it's maybe redefining the playing fields, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think it is. It's redefining the playing fields. And it's also saying, if I were had been an attorney, and one of the things I enjoyed was being in court, maybe I'd like to, to join a, a little theater group so I can stand up and play a character or something. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, it's taking those skills you had, or had developed and, and honed, and using them in a in an entirely different uh, way. So it's kind of a journey from being other-directed to inner-directed mm-hmm. in a way? Oh, I think so. One of the things I talk about in the book, which I think is, is germane in a way to my philosophy of aging, is I'm all about me now, you know? <laughs> so I think that will serve older people well to kind of know that and maybe incorporate a bit of that into their own aging philosophy. But I also think that some people, because they feel they get their identity from their jobs, maybe part of being older is maybe I don't need that identity anymore. Maybe I need to find 
to reinvent myself and be a new me. Maybe I can find a job that doesn't have all that responsibility where I'm working on weekends. Maybe I can just, you know, work at some kind of nine to five job and make enough money and get my fix of having people around me. A lot of people like to work because they enjoy being around other people. And that's so important, that community. Another thing is, though, too, and I um, interviewed uh, a number of people who had kind of changed their lives as they got older and uh, relinquished, again, some of this, uh, the burden of having to keep up with everyone. One of them was an older man who actually was living on Social Security, which is not easy to do. Uh, but he said he scaled down his life. He scaled it back. He's an artist. And he said, I just didn't want to work anymore. I wanted to spend my time being creative. We can do sort of a winnowing of our needs, too, as we get older. What is really important to me? And again, that's part of that self-reflection. What is it I really want out of life? There's yes. a piece of self-actualization here, too. I think that's important as we grow older. You have to feel that you are accomplishing something. Mm -hmm. It doesn't necessarily be career-driven, but it is uh, a sense of, yes, I'm, I am doing something that is productive and, and worthwhile. Yeah, but I, I do worry that people still feel they have to compete. They have to be out there. They have to show... People that they, you know, I'm still important. I'm still uh, significant. And I think what we really need is sort of a paradigm shift to understand that the significance comes from elders being who they are, giving advice, giving their wisdom, supporting younger people in their struggles and, uh, making their own children and grandchildren feel better about themselves. I mean, this is part of the role of an elder. We, you know, there are different roles. It's not the same as, as the role of a 40-year-old. But, Kathleen, I see one flaw in your argument. I'm sure there's more than one. No, it's just the one. Jim could just handle one at a time. That's right. Okay. No, it's it just, you do not look your age at all. You look, uh, you, you remind me of Sally Kellerman in that oh. she seemed throughout her life to look pretty much the same. Uh, but what do you do about the fact that you yourself don't look your age? Uh, it, what, what do you say to people when they say, well, that's easy for you to say? <laughs> you know, a friend of mine mentioned this not too long ago about... She said, I don't know how you can go out there when you, you know, you look younger than you are or whatever. Well, first of all, it's good lighting. Okay. <laughs> That's, <laughs> that is the key. To, so you need to carry a little baby spot around with you as you, <laughs> as you age. Um, well, people do not age at the same rate. And we have stereotypical views of how people should look. This is what 72 looks like. Jim, you are what 76 looks like. And Paul, you are what? 34. 94. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's going to be a problem. Somewhere that between one right the two. There. Yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, it was Gloria Steinem who said years ago, this is what 40 looks like. 
But um, I have relatives who live to be 100 and beyond. So I don't know whether I've inherited that. Um, and maybe I look a little more youthful than others because of that. I also think your attitude has a lot to do with how you appear to other people. And like I said earlier, I have always been a very enthusiastic person and uh, I like to have fun and I like to laugh. But again, we're making old a pejorative. It's very hard in our civilization that is so youth oriented when you're older, yeah, I think we still like to see an attractive person in our life, but that's not really what it's about. So to answer your question, I can't do anything about it. <laughs> I can't. Uh, I think I'm just aging the way I'm aging as Louise Aronson, who is a gerontologist. She's head of the gerontology department. She says, when you've seen one 80-year-old, You've seen one 80-year-old. Like what you've been hearing? How about sharing the joy with your friends? We can always use more listeners. There are more episodes on the way, so stay tuned and keep howling at the moon.